Hello everyone, welcome to the New Humanist Podcast. I'm Damien and this is episode 16, the second of part 3. The topic for today is a critique of some of the views of Richard Dawkins, the famous British evolutionary biologist. His speciality has been in, well, Darwinian theory and its relationship with evolution of life. For the listener who's just tuning in, part 3 is aimed towards advancing a, a critique of sort of the atheistic worldview. I've titled this part a critique of secular humanism. The problem I have with secular views of humanism, that is to say those which affirm the importance of life, the importance of humanity, and the importance of leading a good, fulfilling, happy, healthy life here on earth, and who then supplement that view with a rejection of the divine, a rejection of God, a rejection of divine will, is that there are problems associated with the ideas from which a secular humanistic worldview stems from. That is to say, those which propound a godless or a God-rejecting view of life, in this case, people like Richard Dawkins, is that their views, or rather what underlies their views, the philosophical conceptions, their views of reality, the views of humanity, quite necessarily, does not lend a hand, it does not support, or does not positively reinforce a man-affirming view of life. And this is something that I would be engaging in the course of the next six episodes now. Now, the reason I want to start with Richard Dawkins is because he's a popular figure. It's something that most people would know. Certainly if you're an atheist or a secularist or someone who doesn't like religion, certainly if you're from the West, let's say the English-speaking world, I guess beyond as well, you're likely to be familiar with the works, or at least the person of Richard Dawkins. My familiarity with the individual, just to provide some backdrop, came about as a result of a book which I read, when was this, in 2011. I across the book, well, the British Council Library, as it happened, and I liked the title, The God Delusion. Right? I'm sure some of you would have got to know Richard Dawkins via this book, and the book itself has been a key selling point for him. And uh, so The God Delusion, basically an all-out attack on religion, on organized religion. These are critique of Christianity in many ways, but specifically biblical Christianity. That is to say, the religion of the Christian faith that is predicated on a scriptural, Bible-centric view of the faith as a whole. Right? I mean, Christianity is quite an expansive religion. It's not just what you find in the Bible. That's a topic for another time. The point being, the God delusion was very popular. It was very uh, successful. Right? It was a worldwide bestseller. Anyway, so that was my introduction. I got the book, I read through it, and it was all right. And that was a doorway into the what became known as the New Atheist Phenomenon. And I think it's what that I mentioned a few words about it. New Atheism, this is on the back of, I think, 9-11. I think that's what kick-started it with the end of Faith by Sam Harris. That was the first book, I think, West people were fearful of religion and its consequences, in its dogmatic, in its authoritative, or rather authoritarian character. And this was mainly limited to the Islamic world, notably in unstable parts of the Islamic world, where extremists were having their way, having their say, let's say. But atheism, rather the atheistic worldview, seemed to posit itself as an alternative. Right? It was saying, look, Religion causes violence. 9-11 is a key example. You know, the radicalism of a faith or a faith that has been radicalized and driven to a certain extreme extent and the consequence of that and what resulted from it. And the people at the forefront of this critique were people like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, and also later on Christopher Hitchens, The God Delusion and the Faith and God is Not Great. These books set in motion this overarching cultural critique of religion, right, and an attempt to delegitimize its significance in the public sphere, certainly in the Western, particularly Anglo-American sphere, in the English-speaking world. This critique was twofold, which I think is worth mentioning. 
which is that they critiqued religion on both sides, right? The institutional, the doctrinal, the authoritative, or the perceived authoritarianism within religion, emanating from the Islamic world, but also in the West, within the Christian circles. And this is mostly true in the United States, because in Europe, religion is a spent force. Christianity is powerless, really. It's culturally significant to some extent, and operates at a sort of deeper, at a subconscious level, certainly in Europe, in places like, again, my experience in England. But the point is that religion is a spent force. It's, it doesn't have the energy and the, the vitality to drive culture and determine narratives and, and social questions, certainly in, in a political sense, right? Although now there's a resurgence, certainly, with certain so-called far-right parties have emerged and they're sort of pushing a Christian agenda, or rather an agenda that is inspired by Christian beliefs. That, that's a new thing in parties like Vox in Spain and I think certainly in Poland and so on. But in America, it's different. In America, Christianity is a force. It is culturally significant. It is culturally influential. It has a cultural foothold. And then that, by extension, works into the social debates of our time. And certainly, it impacts the political dimension of our reality. And the new atheist critique in this respect was broad. It engaged religion generally, but it attacked Islam and Christianity specifically. It found problems with the religion's belief systems as a whole and sought to break them down, sought to delegitimize them, right? sought to go after people who represented faith. I think Richard Dawkins and all these guys really were. They were anti-theists. I think that's the technical term that they used to describe themselves. That is to say, they rejected the idea of one God. One God rules and guides human destiny and so on. Right? That's, that's the religion of monotheism, Islam, Judaism, and of course, Christianity. Right, so that's the backdrop. Now I can say a lot more on this, but I'm guessing the listener, if you or she's a humanist, if you are from the Western world, if you're from Europe, if you're from North America, if you're from Oceania, I guess, and I guess the English-speaking world, you know what, what this is, you know what I'm talking about. So this is a point of concern from a humanistic standpoint. Right, so we can take it separate time. Now, Richard Dawkins, interestingly enough, right, Richard Dawkins is a person who's been critical of religion for a long time. His books, his publishing history goes back, I don't know, to the 80s, as far as I can understand. And this is something that we need to look at. In other words, the problem with Richard Dawkins and his critique of faith and the critique of God is something that's intellectually serious or more serious as it pertains to the scientific dimension. Now, for example, Richard Dawkins is a scientist, right? In other words, he's involved in the in experimental sciences and so on. But the point is that Richard Dawkins is a central figure of the atheistic worldview. And interestingly enough, atheism now, certainly in the Western world, certainly in the Anglo-American world, has become the basis of humanism. Most humanistic movements, and this is part from the UK, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of these humanistic movements are atheistic in their character. That is, they don't affirm, or worse, they're not sympathetic to a Christian worldview. They don't take kindly to a Christian view of life. They don't look at the idea of faith, the idea of God, the idea of man's relationship with the divine as something good, as something to look forward to, as something that's worth holding on to, as something that's worth cherishing something that's mutually beneficial to the human person. If anything, the idea of humanism, which is the, one would presume, the betterment of the human person, that is the betterment of our lives, our, our condition, economically, socially, and so on, uh, physically, as not uh, compatible with a religious worldview. If anything, their notion of human well-being presupposes the negation of religion. That is to say that religion has to be removed, weakened, and undermined, that it is only then Right, it is only then that human well-being and, and the flourishing of life would come forth. Now, this view, sort of the philosophical underpinnings of secular humanism, is something that I find problematic. Now, again, if the listener is humanistic, and if you are secular, and I'm guessing you are, because humanism these days tend to be associated with secularism. That is the non-religious character of the humanistic movement. If I want to live a good life, if I want to see people lead a better life, if I want to see the world become a better place. That view does not seem to, or it's not understood as being compatible within a Christian frame. 
because religion is all about God. It's all about going to heaven. It's all about morality and being sexually pure, right? That has little to offer when it comes to human well-being in the here and now. And this is a point which I've already engaged. In this respect, I agree with the secular critique of religion. Religion, certainly Christianity in the West, don't say enough, don't add much to this debate. And that is a point of concern. However, however, the issue here is that secularism in and of itself, that is to say, its ideological, its intellectual underpinnings themselves do not render kindly, do not give a helping hand to a humanistic worldview. And that is the point of today. All right. Richard Dawkins is, again, a critical figure in the modern atheistic secular movement. He's well-known, well-renowned, and especially with Mr. Hitchens' passing, uh, he's probably the most vocal critique of religion. And, of course, he's well-respected for what it's worth in atheistic secular circles. I mean, recently, I just watched a video of him and Ricky Gervais, the famous British comedian, very popular person. I like Ricky Gervais, but he's also an atheist, apparently, right? Anyway, uh, my point is Richard Dawkins is authoritative. So let's start with some of his views. And to do this, I would quote passages, verses, I don't know how you call it, depending on the length. And I would cite the book from which it was taken, and I'll try to provide. Not exactly a critique, because I mean, let's, let's be real, guys. I'm not, I'm not at the level of Richard Dawkins, right? I mean, Richard Dawkins is way ahead, right? He's smarter, more qualified, more educated. Let's get the obvious out of the way. Richard Dawkins is way ahead, and I'm not trying to say that he's stupid or dumb. I'm not saying that he's wrong. That's different. I'm just saying that the view, I'm, no, no, I'm not just saying, I'm saying, okay, I'm saying clearly that his views have problems. They have inadequacies. They have shortfalls. In some ways, even possibly contradictions. And that means his worldview, worldview that is advancing a secular humanistic, which I think follows logically, right? If, if you affirm atheism and you live your life, that means you're being secular and you're humanistic. I hope I made it clear. Humanism is about valuing life. It's about valuing life here on earth. It's about working to make the world a better place. It's about making our lives better in the here and now. If that is our ambition, if that is our purpose, that has to be reinforced by our worldviews and the beliefs that we hold and our worldview about how we view the world, how we view reality, how we view ourselves in context of others, how we perceive natural phenomena, how we interpret data, how we conceive of notions which are yet to actualize, how we perceive conflicts, our political dispositions, our ideological affinity, etc., etc. All of these have to work into a unified system, okay? And what underpins it, and if what underpins it is secular or atheistic, as in the case with Richard Dawkins, I find there are problems, okay? And that is something we would engage going forward. All right, so let's start with the first quote. This is taken from River Out of Eden. The book was published in 1995, and this is the quote. The source is from... Goodreads, and here is the quote. The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose this sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Many others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are being slowly devoured from within by rasping parasites. Thousands of all kinds are dying of starvation, thirst, and disease. It must be so. If there ever is a time of plenty, this very fact will automatically lead to an increase in the population until the natural state of starvation and misery is restored. In a universe full of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom. No design, no purpose, no evil, no good, Nothing but pitiless indifference. Again, this is taken from River Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life. Okay, so the first quote, an interesting one, as you can see, and it came out in 1995. 
which means that these ideas were afoot for a long time before, then they became popular in popular culture. Again, at least to my knowledge, I'm sure more experienced readers and observers would know what was happening. But the point is this, what Richard Dawkins is saying in his book, which I think I have actually, I think I have that book, is basically life has no purpose. There's no meaning to life. Bad things are happening all over the place. And that means, right, and that means the idea of believing that there's some kind of purpose underlying the nature of reality is futile. To hold that view is to affirm a position which is untenable, okay? Because reality is observed in phenomena, whether it's natural disasters, predation, pain and suffering, the unfairness of life, it's all over the place. And the whole idea of trying to say, oh, look, there's some purpose to this, there's some, some design to all of this, right? That there's some kind of, there's a deeper meaning underlying this reality, or even the possibility of conferring that view on our reality is wrong. It's not, you cannot sustain it. It's very difficult given what we are seeing with suffering and death and all the bad things that are happening. And instead, all we can affirm is the meaninglessness of life, that the life has no purpose. It's just horrible, horrible, just no way that we can make sense of it all, all the bad things that are happening in the world. Hence, the only rational position, apparently, I'm guessing the rational position is to affirm an atheistic worldview, to reject all meaning and purpose and just live life in, in a way that makes no sense. If you affirm that life has no purpose, right? It means that you've got to live a life which has no purpose. Now, a couple of things here. I mean, first of all, there are problems in that quotation that he put forward intellectually. Just take the philosophical view, right? If life has no purpose in terms of its outworking, in terms of the mechanics, in terms of the processes, that means you and I are not in any way obligated to lead a life of purpose. We don't need to do things. We don't need to order our lives in a certain way. We don't need to seek goals. We don't need to develop our skills. We don't need to take responsibility. We can just do whatever you want. I guess in Dawkins, you manifest a selfish gene within us. Just eat, sleep, and, and procreate, I guess. But even that doesn't make sense. I mean, how do we do that? I mean, how do we eat and sleep? And how do we have access to those comforts? And how do you how do you get laid? These things don't happen. They require some kind of structure to our lives. Okay, you know, if you don't study and if you don't have a life, you don't have a career. You're on the streets. You're a ragamuffin. Then you're not going to be able to get into these things. So to have a life in the world that we have today, it requires some kind of systematization. It requires purpose. You need to build yourself. You need to work. You need to dedicate yourself to certain outcomes, and that requires responsibility. That requires considering the well-being of other. It requires being mindful and being aware of the well-being and the desires and needs and urges of those around you. In other words, you and I are meant to live. We are compelled to live in a way to affirm that life has purpose, that life has meaning, and that life is sacred. We are called to act responsibly. And just take England as an example. Roger Dawkins is from England. If you've been in that country, I'll tell you, people are very mindful. Certainly, again, I could be wrong in saying this, but certainly the native population in England, right? English people. Again, as an outsider, I found this quite fascinating. They're so aware, you know, that they know what's happening. I'm just like, take the London Underground or even any public setting. And I hope I'm not sounding judgmental. I mean, this is a compliment. Is that they, they seem to know what's going on. They don't just do things. They don't say things. Everything is carefully measured and, and they make a decision. And as an outsider, I'm, wow, you know, there's so much to learn. And I want to be like this. And of course, England is a very secular country. The most people are atheistic or agnostic anyway. They don't go to church and so on. But, but there's a deeper awareness of those around you, a deeper consideration, a deeper respect for the well-being of others. Now, for me, that implies a certain kind of living, a certain responsible living, a purpose of life, meaningful life. 
Just because life is full of suffering and bad luck and all kinds of bad things going on. True. And this is especially true in the animal kingdom. I think that point about the animal kingdom is quite true. I think Richard Dawkins is very clear. I think that's absolute. In the animal kingdom is completely messy and, and I think disgraceful by our standards. We don't live like that, folks. The point is, you and I live our lives in our response, but we are compelled to live our lives in response. We don't just live for the sake of procreating, for the sake of eating and drinking and indulging. We live to lead a fulfilling life, and that requires respect, requires consideration, requires being aware of other people's needs. And that is not something that's sustainable. If one embraces this frankly nihilistic view of, you know, life is just meaningless, everything is indifference. It is not sustainable. In that sense, Richard Dawkins is wrong in terms of its the outworking. His conception of reality leads to this notion about how we should live, how we ought to live, or how we will live. But what that means is that if we live like that, according to those presuppositions, then our life will be completely chaotic and miserable and messed up. You cannot build a cohesive society with that framework. So that is something for us to consider. A couple of other points, which I think is worth mentioning in the quote itself. Richard Dawkins speaks about the animal kingdom and how it's so bad. But that's the whole point, isn't it? Animals are not human beings. I don't care, frankly, about what's happening in the animal kingdom in the sense that so what if animals are killing and eating each other? We don't do that. <laughs> I guess it's here, right? as human beings, we don't hunt down and kill out. Okay, we have farming and so on, but we don't hunt down and kill out other human beings, right? People kill people. It is not part of our culture. In lions, for example, you know, lions, when the males leave a tribe, right, they go out and they look for another tribe, which has a lot of females in it. And, and then they say, we need to take all this. Tribe. And then there are males in the tribe and they fight. Invading males, they join forces with some other male and they go and they attack a tribe. They drive out the males there. Of course, they got to win the fight. If they lose the fight, then that's, they got to get the hell out of there. But if they win, right, uh, then they, they're free to take all the tribe and they can reproduce with the females. But they got to kill the young. The young are all killed. Just think about this, right? The lions would go and they'll massacre all the, the cubs, right, of the tribe that they've taken over so they can get the females into heat and impregnate them. This is the logic of the natural world. Now, think about this for a second. Now, in, in Darwinian, that makes sense. It makes complete sense, right? It's survival of the fittest. But we as human beings don't live that way. We don't operate according to those principles. Generally, generally, it might have, of course, there are bad things happening all over the place. And, you know, but the point is, as human beings, that's not the normal state of affairs, okay? Now, by the fact that we have governments and, and states and so on, like Leviathan exists to prevent um, that kind of cohesive expression of power, okay? So Dawkins is wrong in making that comparison. Sure, in the animal kingdom, these things happen, and it's normal in the animal kingdom. But in civil society, in Western society especially, if you do those kinds of things, you'll be caught, you'll be apprehended, you'll be punished. Such things are not endorsed, they're condemned. Hence, the idea of life being meaningless and life being indifferent does not hold in a human context, okay? So, and this is important from a humanistic standpoint, because as humanists, we value, I value, you should value, Humanity, right? It's about human well-being. Animals, you know, they're good. We got to take care of them and so on. But we matter. Human beings matter. Man matters. Men matter. Okay? And that's something we should not forget. I think people like Richard Dawkins fail to make that association. The idea that animal kingdom is messed up, we're fine, but we're not animals. Komodo dragons cannibalize. Human beings don't cannibalize. <laughs> well, not all of us. Of course, there are some you know, primitive tribes in certain parts of the world which do it, which I will not get into here. But then that's a point to consider. And the third point I think is worth mentioning as an intellectual issue is that he makes this thing as a Malthusian view. That is, if resources increase and population increases, then that will lead to a shortage of resources and starvation. That view is not very clear, actually. That, that view has been challenged on a number of accounts. Uh, population, whilst it increases with more resources, but it doesn't mean that population will increase to a point where there will be less resources, actually. The reason why populations increase in countries is because there is a lot of resources. So it means there's less food and less 
resources to go around, that means the population would decrease accordingly. So, and also he doesn't consider the role of technology and technological advancements and the possibilities that it opens up and the frontiers that lie as a result of it. Like for example, if the world is fully exhausted of all these resources, fine, we'll just go and colonize Mars. Hey, by the time humanity is finished with Earth, you know, we'll be hopefully more advanced as a civilization. I think there's something called the Kardashev's uh, tiers, right? I think Kardashev's cycles, where civilization goes by these stages like type one civilization, type two, and so on. So by the time we get to type one, we can just get the hell out of planet Earth and go to Mars and terraform it and we can live there. So the point I'm getting at, he's wrong on the Malthusian view. That doesn't really hold. Population growth in many ways is a reflection of the health of a society. So if population grows, it, it means society is doing well. If it's growing slowly, that means there are other issues that grow. Of course, we got to consider things like culture and, uh, and attitudes and, and women's status. I think, for example, in Europe, women have few children because of their aspirations and so on. So there are many factors to consider. But the idea that human beings are going to die out and we're going to starve because the world is going to you know, shrink because it can't carry the human population. That view has been challenged. In fact, I think people like Ray Kurzweil, the great thinker, who I think heads Google's engineering, I think even he has made observations on this and I think even Elon Musk. Richard Dawkins has pointed many weaknesses. That's something we have to consider. But the critical point is, is from a humanistic standpoint, the view that life is purposeful, life is aimless because it's so much suffering and bad things and unfairness and iniquity, that does not follow logically. So what if there's a lot of iniquity? So what if the animal kingdom is so messed up? That does not mean you and I have to live our lives in that way. You and I choose to live a purposeful life. In many ways, we are compelled to. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. It is only by living a purposeful life, by taking responsibility, by following the laws, by taking responsibility, by respecting others, by being aware of other people's concerns, by being mindful, by making sacrifices. The point is, we live a life that is brotherly, respectful, that is Christian, right? That is what is required. And because of it, our lives are better. The world is better. And this is something that Richard Dawkins does not recognize. Okay, that's quote number one. Now on to quote number two. This is taken from The Blind Watchmaker. The book came out in 1986. Here it is. Although atheism might have been logically tenable before Darwin, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. End quote. Right. So atheism and Darwinism, right? It's funny how these two things go together. It's funny how Darwin and Dawkins go together. Right? The point is, atheism and a, a God-rejecting worldview, or in this case, a God-rejecting scientific worldview, or a scientifically grounded worldview, tend to go together. I think it makes sense. It makes sense why they seem to be so compatible. A couple of things, first of all. Atheism, in context of Darwinism, as uh, Dawkins himself admits, is something that reinforces the other. So atheism, which is the rejection of God, sits well with Darwinism, which argues that life came about through natural processes, right? Over many, well, eons, through processes which had nothing to do with God, which were not directed, which were not guided just haphazardly, chaotically, but somehow organize themselves to create these complex systems which you and I are made of. We human beings are, we're complex. We have many systems, subsystems, right? Systems of systems which constitute us. Our cellular, nervous, our neurological, neurochemical systems, all of our organs, etc. They're very complex, right? Even a single cell organism itself is immensely complex. So if you can go down to the microscopic level. So what Dawkins is saying is that the Darwinian worldview lends a hand to the atheistic worldview because Darwinism argues very clearly that God had no role to play. Everything came about through natural processes. This is asserted dogmatically. It's apparently proved scientifically as well with various people in the Darwinian field trying to defend it. I think the natural selection mechanism with a gene stochastic framework selection 
happening, which is totally undirected. It just happens. The chaos. It doesn't plan in endpoints. Right. It just this happens, and it somehow leads to the, the cellular organization at a genetic level. Although there are problems with the genetics as well, because the, the genetic framework now is coming out, is being challenged within the epigenetic system. There's a new developments in the field of biology. But I'm leaving out the science on the side here, folks. But my question is this: Why is Roger Dawkins using Darwinism to say that view? gives him the opportunity to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. Why is that? Now think about this for a second. It's not a question of what Darwinism is saying about the nature of life. It's not a question about whether natural selection is able to explain the emergence and the complexity of life. That's a separate question. Okay. What we need to look at here is why is Dawkins embracing the idea of atheism as something that follows logically from Darwinism? But what that tells me is that Darwinism itself has a certain degree of atheism built into it. Are you guys with me here? Think about this first. Atheism is a rejection of God. Darwinism affirms that life came about through natural processes without the direction of a divine hand. The two go together. Hence, it's only natural, it's only logical, obviously, that these two would reinforce each other. But what does that tell you about Richard Dawkins? Now, this is a critique of the person that I'm getting at here, guys. Dawkins fans, be ready. Is that Richard Dawkins, to me, does not sound like a serious person, intellectually speaking. That is, he's not intellectually open-minded enough. Right? He's not serious in that sense. If you're a scientist, right, the whole idea is that you are willing to change your point of view. You're willing to be challenged. You're willing to be questioned, right? You're willing to have your worldviews not only challenged but upended. Okay, how can you have a situation where someone like in this case Richard Dawkins, who is clearly committed to atheism, says, "I want to be not just an atheist, but intellectually fulfilled atheist." That's his commitment to life, folks. That is not a scientific position. Think about this for a second. If he's atheistic, he's saying he's an atheist before Darwin. Essentially, right? Uh, but with with the contributions of Darwin, now you can say I'm atheistic, but I have the reason to be atheistic. I have the evidence, so to speak, that Darwinism provides. Now, I'm saying this, folks, just to let the listener know that if he or she is a Dawkins fan, to consider that it's not that Darwinism gave him the right to be atheistic; that he was atheistic to start with. The idea of being intellectually fulfilled came second. So the argument that people use, oh, I'm an atheist because I affirm Darwinian biology, because evolution says that God doesn't exist, or God doesn't create life. What they're really saying is that I'm already an atheist. I'm already supportive of an atheistic world. I'm already sympathetic to a godless worldview. And now, when Darwin comes along with his evolutionary theory and whatnot, it quickly gives it, oh, I can ground my views. I can ground my rejection of God in something like this. Now, this is critical. Because after all, as humanists, as people who value reason, I hope I made that clear. Humanism is a pro-enlightenment, right? Not not the extreme radical French uh, enlightenment is not as simple as people think of it. So, I mean, you need to realize uh, we need to realize that enlightenment had a lot of bad actors. I think so, the Robespierre and the uh, and the cult of reason and so on. Uh, there are radical elements as well. The point is that reason is important, but reason alone is not sufficient. Because at the end of the day, people can have certain commitments to a certain worldview, certain conceptions of reality. And now atheism in that regard clearly is a view of reality, right? Which is not which is not necessarily intellectual. Again, Dawkins' case, Dawkins was already an atheist, even long before, or rather, he would be an atheist anyway, regardless of what Darwin would say about the nature of life. Presuming that Darwin was a Christian and he said, Okay, look, the scientific theory shows that life came about through a purposive mechanism rather than through natural selection. Let's say hypothetically, right? It's difficult to believe that someone like Richard Dawkins say, "Oh, you know what? That's right. I'm I'm going to stop being an atheist because the scientific theory shows that life has some kind of purpose built into it, something that's guiding it in a certain way." Now, I'm not saying that's true, just to be clear. But 
if that was the position, that was the norm, someone like Richard Dawkins would not affirm it. Why? Because he's already, already committed to an atheistic worldview. That is the critical point here. And this is something we have to be very clear about. People like Richard Dawkins are not committed, as far as I'm concerned, to genuine intellectual inquiry. They're not intellectually open enough, enough. That is something we have to consider. Now, this is something I can go into in much greater depth. In fact, I will uh, later on in the series. I won't do it now. There are problems with the Darwinian worldview, especially as it pertains to life. Just, I'll give you one example here. It doesn't tell us how life came about. It doesn't tell us the original life. Simple. Of course, there are people trying to figure that out. But the point is that there are issues that we have with this view. And try to use that, trying to use that to justify atheism. Vice versa, to use atheism to justify Darwin, which I think is what's really going on with uh, people like Dawkins. It doesn't really lend a hand to the humanistic enterprise. Why? Because atheism, as I mentioned before, doesn't help the human cause. It's certainly not in a Darwinian sense. Because Darwin, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, is about life being purposeless, life being meaningless, life being an accident. Human life, humanity as a whole, is some random aberration. We may or may not have been here. If that is the case, then what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? It goes back to the first quote by Richard Dawkins. Everything is plain, pitiless indifference. If that is the case, what, what are we doing here? What is the purpose of our lives? What are we doing here? Like in The Matrix, Neo goes to the, to the source and he looks at the architects and says, why am I here? Why are we here? And this question is not addressed. It, can, it cannot be addressed as far as I'm concerned within a Darwinian framework in a way that is supportive, in a way that's reinforcing, in a way that's empowering to the human condition, to the human experiment, let's say, right? If we are a project, some kind of scientific project, the atheistic view vis-a-vis -vis Darwinism just says we just some haphazard thing that churned out and it's like some kind of accident, you know, something blew up and we came out as a result of it. In fact, in the river out of Eden, he used that example, something about a time bomb, the genetic thing that explodes and the information disperses and he uses those analogies. He's very good at analogies, Richard Dawkins, I'll say that. And the river out of Eden is a good example. This view doesn't really lend a hand to a humanistic view that man is important, that life is important, that we are here to make the world a better place. We're not just trying to live and not survive of the fittest folks, clearly not. Human beings are charitable, we help people, we care for people. Sure, we do bad things, but we fight, don't we? We fight for what is right and wrong. We fight for what is what is right and we reject what is wrong, hopefully, most of the time. And that is ignored. And worse, I think in the Darwin, it's justified. Heck, if you think about it, right, if Darwin says, like, it's all about sort of the fittest, it's all about gene replication, trying to expand ourselves or to, by procreating and so on, we'll be killing each other, we'll be murdering, we'll be, like, just, everyone will be trying to steal other people's wives, everyone will be, like, trying to seduce, you know, women, and just, there'll be no, just think about that, right, it doesn't work that way, guys, and I think there are many problems with, with the Darwinian view, it's certainly the end of the atheistic view, but, and the critical point is that we oppose it, we reject it, we don't live according to those dictates. And this takes a deeper question about humanism, and I guess, is that the Christian worldview seems to be at work here, all right? Even though Darwin, Dawkins, all these people say, you know, we're like this, life is like that, nonetheless, people choose to operate. And again, England is a good example, very clear example. There's a Christian under, there's a Christian reality at a deeper level, which is not religious, which is at a deeper level operative within the human experience. And this is something that we need to consider going forward. Okay, for now, the critique here is, the critique here is that the atheistic worldview that Richard Dawkins propounds, that for him is a result of his commitment to Darwin, okay, does not seem to hold, right? The Richard Dawkins view that atheism logically leads to Darwinism or Darwinism logically leads to atheism is a philosophical position. So we're essentially using the atheistic worldview to purposefully interpret the data. And this is my critique of the atheistic worldview because I think we need to make this clear is that he's using his commitment to atheism is warping his view of the view of life. Hence, his viewing reality as his comparative struggle, which the Darwinian frame, framework lends a hand. 
But the problem is that it is inadequate when it comes to human experience. We don't live our lives that way. We don't choose to live confrontational, purposeful, aggressive, warlike way to, to perpetuate our genes and to gain power and control over everything at the expense of others. We research these, you know, but we do it in a very careful way. We do it in a methodical Most of us anyway, right? There are bad people out there and wars are being fought nonetheless. But humanity is trying to be better, trying to grow, trying to survive. And we should not ignore that. And this, for, for me, is a problem. And I think Richard Dawkins in this regard is falling short. So these are the two points which I want to engage today. I can say more. In fact, there's another quote which I wanted to engage, uh, which I will not, because that opens the door to a lot of other subjects, more philosophical and, and theological and so on. It leaves in the question of reality, which is a subject for another time. Maybe I will engage at the close of this uh, series. Uh, the part three is something that a work in progress. So let's see. Anyways, Richard Dawkins, smart guy, very well known, well respected, but he has problems. He's an atheist. He's an atheist first, it seems to me, and a scientist second. That's a view. And his atheism affects his scientific view. And I think his atheism or rather infects his view of life and one that does not seem to correspond to reality. We're not selfish people trying to perpetuate our genes. We're not godless automatons who are just trying to endure and live life in a purposeful way. It makes no sense. Life itself is not like that. It's incoherent as a moral system, as a social system, right? And England, his own country, is representative of that. It's a good example of this. And finally, it has to be said, Richard Dawkins' view of life in many ways compels him to reject the Christian view. It compels him to dislike the Christian worldview because this is the irony. Christianity is what lends a hand to the world that we ought to see, that we want to see, okay? The world that, that ought to be. It may be not in a religious sense, but in terms of its moral guideline, in terms of the word, in terms of the teachings, in terms of the framework. And I think this is something Richard Dawkins, you know, that's a topic for another time, but this is something we have to consider as humanists. Christianity, it seems to me, lends a stronger hand. It's more supportive of a humanistic enterprise to make the world, to make our lives better, to build a better future for ourselves. Christianity and the Christian idea of human betterment, human well-being, is a far better candidate than the atheistic, nihilistic, you know, everything is indifferent worldview that in this case is best represented by arguably the best representative of atheism, Richard Dawkins. All right, folks, this is a new humanist podcast. I'm Damien. This is episode 16, the second of part two, and see you guys next time.